Grace and Peace Table Podcast listeners, Brett here. So good to be with you all. So we are in part two in our series titled The Book of James, where we are uh, covering some of the, the major themes and ideas found in this delightful book of the New Testament. So um, last week we talked about suffering, how faith doesn't call us to like try to go around or bypass suffering, um, but to, like the Lord Jesus, we follow, go straight through it. Um, next week, we'll be talking about faith and works. Um, but this week, the title of my message is Desire and Attachment. Desire and Attachment. So we actually have two scriptures, um, though I think you'll be able to hear kind of the common theme among them. The first is from uh, James chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, uh, which reads, or actually, sorry, through verse 15. Which reads, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So our second passage is uh, from James chapter 4, towards the end of the book, uh, verses 1 through 2. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Now, what strikes me about Primarily the second passage, um, this one from chapter 4, is the missing word. You'll notice it's not missing in the passage from chapter 1. So to read it again, chapter 1, just verse 14 says, Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Now contrast that with um, James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Can you hear the missing word there? It's evil. Chapter 1, verse 14 says, evil desires. Chapter 4, verse 1 simply says, desires. And I think that that second version from chapter 4, just simply desire, this notion of desire itself as um, kind of potentially problematic, uh, that's a radical insight for us Westerners. Um, because, you know, as Western people, like our whole notion of the good life is precisely the idea of fulfilling desire. I mean, what, what is life about except getting what you want? <laughs> and, you know, the, the what you want can be 10,000 things like, you know, material goods. It can be um, pleasures of the body and the mind, uh, fancy vacations, or heck, any vacation at all, or finding your soulmate, building a business, making a million bucks, having amazing kids, getting just the right house or the promotion, or having my preferred political party be in control, being smart, being funny, being beloved, and so on, and so on, and so on. Uh, in fact, many um, folks have pointed out that our economic system for all of the amazing things that's brought into the world, um, it's really built not not simply in terms of fulfilling desires, which it does, but actually stoking and creating ever new desires. In other words, um, corporations 
need to latch into your desire. They need, they need you to want more. I mean, the last thing they need is for you to be content. <laughs> like, oh, I really like my car. I think I'll just drive it for 30 years, you know, get that transmission rebuilt. Oh, just, you know, just stick with it. It's really, it's fine. Like, no, no, I, you need the latest car. <laughs> I, <laughs> like this is, I mean, you can see this is everywhere. Just take, like, just go to any city and walk down the street and from every sign and um, kind of doorway, I mean, what will you hear and see? It's these, it's the kind of the beckoning of desire. Now, um, I, I guess the pushback to this, though, would probably be something like this. You might say, like, okay, look, Brett, like, can't desire be good, though? I mean trying to say, you know, desire itself is problematic. Like not all desires are evil. I mean, what if I desire peace on earth? Isn't, isn't that good? Um, I mean, I, I do think that's a good point. And I think maybe it can be addressed by clarifying our terms because some of why we, we probably find this confusing is because, um, the word desire in English, that's very broad. You know, I, I desire all sorts of things. When I'm thirsty, I desire water. When sleepy, I desire a nap. Um, or what about, you know, desiring God or desiring love or peace on earth? And I mean, are those somehow evil things? So perhaps we need a different word. What, what if we left um, desire um, for like the good, the natural, healthy um, wants and needs, um, like our desire for God or, you know, a desire for a good drink of water on a hot day? Like there's nothing wrong with that. But, but maybe we could use a different word for that other kind of desire. Um, desire that goes off the rails. Desire gone awry. And there's a word that early Christians began to use um, that I really like. Um, they called it attachment. I like that word. Like that, that starts to get at the feeling of desire gone wrong. Um, here's the desert father, um, Abba Zosimos. He said this, for as I always like to say, it's not possessing something that is harmful, but being attached to it. So, so what is attachment? You might say that it's anything finite, temporary, or unstable. I mean, pretty much anything or anyone except God. That I bind my emotional stability and happiness to. In other words, it's not just the thing itself but my relationship to the thing that gets wonky. It's, it's not desire itself, but it's craving, attachment, kind of an addictive use of a thing, or I might say any noun, a kind of person, place, or thing, that becomes problematic. So to kind of com, um, contrast desire with attachment, at least desire in the best sense of the word, we might say that, you know, if desire is, um, is kind of can be gentle, you know, like a healthy longing. Um, attachment is a violent urge. If desire uses words like prefer, <laughs> hope, wouldn't that be nice? Attachment uses words like must, ought, have to, need to, not fair if I don't. <laughs> if desire can be healthily oriented towards God and, and a love for others, Attachment is like some sort of unhealthy codependency 
where I start to use people, experiences, substances, things to get my emotional fix. You can hear the, the way attachment kind of um, has echoes of addiction. Attachment, it's, it's a huge problem in our world. But of course, the problem goes very, very deep because, I mean, attachment is everywhere in our lives. And our, our culture is constantly screaming, not let go of your attachments. They're making you miserable. Just, you know, be content with your life and healthily desire natural good things that God's given you. No, no. The, our culture screams, the reason you're not happy is because you need more attachments. <laughs> your problem. Oh, are you sad? Your problem is you're not attached enough. You need to get attached, get latched onto things, hook them up like an IV to your vein. <laughs> now, maybe you're like, Brett, you're exaggerating. Am I? I don't I mean, have you seen like television commercials? Have you driven through downtown Dallas? I, I don't, I mean, heck, have you just examined like your own life? Um, like just to kind of make this personal, we'll take, um, I'm going to share one example with you. So uh, I've always struggled with a certain attachment to being successful. Um, I think kind of beneath my, my attachment to success was really a desire to be loved and kind of a fear that if I'm not a success, maybe the love and approval will go away. Um, but, but nonetheless, the way it manifested was as a pretty intense attachment to success. And as I look back over the decades of my life, I can see over and over and over again where my attachment to some some external kind of vision, ideal notion of success became, um, it, I mean, well, basically it just became an attachment that, that ruined my healthy relationship to things and activities and experiences and people. Um, a few weeks ago, I walked into an indoor pool in Garland, Texas for my daughter Eve's high school swim team tryout. Uh, if you get my e-letter, you've uh, probably heard a little bit about this because I, I just spoke about it there. Um, I mean, I remember I walk in the door and the smell of chlorine just smacks me in the face. I mean, it's just so thick and the memories came flooding over me. You see, I grew up... Um, a participating in club swimming um, for much of my childhood uh, until about the age of, I think maybe from uh, maybe nine to 16 or so, somewhere in there. And, you know, as you probably know, club anything, you know, volleyball, soccer, whatever, it can be very intense. Club swimming, though, it's right up there with like gymnastics for a little bit over the top. Um, <laughs> it's like very involved. And at first I loved it. But now I can see that over the years, I became attached to certain outcomes. I wanted to make the state swim meet. I wanted to make the junior nationals. I, I wanted to get a college scholarship. But in the process, I became so attached to those things, like to certain destinations, so to speak, um, that my own either progress or lack of progress towards that goal that like I just became so obsessed with it that I, I increasingly became very frustrated, um, burnt out and disillusioned with the sport. By the end, I hated it, hated it, but it wasn't my coach or my parents, um, or my brother who, by the way, was a freaking awesome swimmer, uh, much better than I ever was. 
Um, it wasn't anyone else. It was me. I did it to myself. And so I'm sitting there in the stands and I'm watching my girl swim back and forth for her tryout. And I'm so proud of her. And the tears begin to roll down my cheeks because I realized that rather than being driven by love for the process, I got attached to all those things I just named. And and I told Eve later, I said, oh girl, do not make the same mistakes I did. I said, girl, you enjoy the heck out of it. Every lap, I'm every stroke and enjoy your teammates. Love it. Like try hard, but don't do it for some imagined payoff. Like, no, do it because you like it. You see, attachment, it wrecks us. It ruins our lives. Because when we are attached, we, we cannot be content. We cannot be grateful. We cannot be at peace. But again, attachment, it's everywhere. It can turn us into the worst versions of ourselves. I mean, we even get attached to, like, beliefs, theologies, opinions. And here's how I know personally when I'm, like, attached to a theological or political or whatever idea. Um, I have to ask myself, how defensive do I get when that notion is attacked? That shows not how much I love it. No, it shows how insecure I am, how closely I've tied my identity to either the belief itself or the way I've kind of attached my my um, kind of identity to the the person who's attacking the idea, like to their approval and what they think of me. Or something similar can happen even with institutions and organizations, even our church. Isn't it strange how we can start to feel like if, if someone speaks an ill will or ill word against my church, they're, they're attacking me. Uh, pastors often fall into this, you know, to attack the table is to attack me. That's, <laughs> oh my. I mean, you can hear where that's like, ugh, it's getting squirrely. In fact, um, why do you think it is that when something terrible happens in an organization, like, you know, maybe even in a church, some, some sort of abuse or financial indiscretion or whatever, um, why is it there's often a cover-up attachment? We become more committed to our unhealthy attachment to the institution than to the precious people God has called us to love. Can you see now why James writes in verse 15, and this is kind of my own paraphrase. You'll see the word I'm switching out. Verse 15, then after attachment has conceived, it gives birth to sin. You see, desire gone awry. Desire turned into attachment almost inevitably leads to sin because it's a twisting of our relationship to ourselves, to others, to things. So that's a lot of bad news. Here's the good news. Jesus Christ offers us a whole new way of living, of desiring, of being. And it's a way where we are not enslaved by our attachments, but where we are increasingly free. That's the word. Free from clinging, free from craving, free from addiction and attachment. 
I want you to listen again to the words of Jesus from, this is from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. And I say again, because they might be familiar to you. Um, if you've been in church a while, or if you've listened to, to my messages, I, I mention it um, at least a few times a year. But um, this is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 26 through 30. I want you to just kind of listen to them and these words and see if you can kind of hear them with new ears in light of everything we've been talking about. Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They don't reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Can you hear in that poetry, those metaphors, a certain easy and light way of being in the world? Jesus asks, why all this worry? Why all this fretting about? Why why all this grasping and clinging and striving? Because, you see, to be Christian, to follow Jesus, is to relax. Relax. I'll close with this quote from John Shaw. He's a spiritual writer. And he says this, If you let go a little you will have a little peace. If you let go a lot, you will have a lot of peace. If you let go completely, you will have complete peace. And that's what I hear Jesus saying in Matthew 6. Let go. Return to yourself. Return to God. Don't miss the glory around you. Right here, right now. The kingdom is yours. All God has is yours. Your life will unfold. So relax. And so that's the practice this week. Start noticing your attachments. And as each one arises, breathe in, breathe out, and give them back to God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.